0: But today is Palm Sunday, the day that marks one week before Jesus' crucifixion, before he died and rose again on the third day. But Palm Sunday is not just a date on the calendar. Palm Sunday is a defining moment in the mission, in the ministry of Jesus, As, as Jesus approaches the cross Palm Sunday is a phenomenal opportunity for you and me to learn something, not just about who Jesus is, but, but what it means to follow him, about what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what a Christian is, someone who has chosen to place their trust in him, someone who has chosen to orient their lives around the person of Jesus Christ, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And, and Palm Sunday is an incredible moment in the life of Jesus that's recorded for us in the Bible. It's recorded in a couple of different places, but if you will, look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, there, there's this specific account of, of Palm Sunday in the life of Jesus and his closest followers as he is moving towards the cross. Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version today. The New International Version I think is a little more familiar with a lot of people. We usually read out of the New Living Translation, which is linguistically very accurate to the original text, but I think is a little more readable. But the NIV version, I think, is is a more traditional reading that some of us may be familiar with. You may have never heard this story before, but this is is the biblical account of the day, one week, before Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to throw this verse up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But I'm going to ask everybody, if you will, read the highlighted words out loud with me. Here we go. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, let's try that one more time like we mean it, and we're excited to be at church, okay? As they approached Jerusalem, there you go. By the way, just, just so you know, you just smoked the 930 service. So if you see anybody, let them know. Kind of taunt them a little bit go, what's up? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, I want you to understand the, the setting of this story, uh, of what's actually happening in the actual Historical life of Jesus. The other, trans, other passages in the Bible tell us that he's journeying from the town of Jericho into Jerusalem. But just before getting to Jerusalem, the Bible says as he approached the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is this huge hill that had olive trees and groves built and, and terraced into the hillside, just about really a, a long Tiger Woods drive. From the walls of Jerusalem and olives to this day are, are a critical export for the nation of Israel and they were in Jesus's day as well that's why it's called the Mount of Olives and as they approached the Mount of Olives he sent two disciples to go get a donkey uh, actually a colt a young donkey tied up beside its mother and bring the donkey to him now that, that's, that's what's going on, but I, I think I want to I take just a quick second and, and focus on that phrase there, as they approached Jerusalem, as they approached Jerusalem. Now, the disciples, we, we know with the benefit of hindsight and the biblical historical record of what happened over the next week and beyond, the disciples did not know what was coming. They, they, they couldn't have known that a week later, Jesus would be betrayed by one of their own. As a matter of fact, the one who betrayed Jesus for, for those pieces of silver was Judas, the very one that they had entrusted their ministry's finances to. They didn't know that Judas would betray Jesus. They, didn't, they couldn't have known that, that Peter, the brash and the bold, would leap to Jesus' defense and cut off the ear of one of the arresting officers and soldiers, but then within a 12-hour span would deny three different times even knowing Jesus. That they couldn't have known that that they would share this first Lord's Supper, what was referred to as the Last Supper, but it became the first communion like we celebrated here today, and that They would gather around a table, just just the 12 of them. Judas would go out to betray Jesus, but the 12 of them with Jesus, knowing that he would institute this this communion meal, this, this remembrance, this memorial to the sacrifice he was about to make. The disciples, they didn't know. But Jesus, but Jesus, he knew. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew because we we know that he's been trying to prepare them. He's been trying to tell them it's not going to be just another church service when we get to Jerusalem. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Jerusalem, Jesus knew, meant for him his death. Jesus knew that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be betrayed by one of his closest followers. Jesus knew knew. He was aware of what awaited him when he got to Jerusalem, and yet he continued to approach Jerusalem. He continued to approach Jerusalem. It's a staggering thing when you think about it. You know, it, I, I, don't, I don't know where you are spiritually, but if, if I had been in Jesus' sandals, and I knew what awaited me in Jerusalem, like what Jesus knew awaited him, I don't know that I would have continued the approach to Jerusalem. I think I might have gotten to the Mount of Olives and said, you know what, I'm good here. Jericho was cool. I I, I like Jericho. Remember Jericho? Jericho was where Joshua fought the battle. Jericho was where the Israelite nation began to take hold of the promised land that God had promised to Abraham about 500 years before Joshua. But Jesus knew that that Jerusalem meant not just his death, but it meant life to anyone who would follow him. Jesus knew that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you and I and anyone who would choose to follow him might have life and have it to the full, have it overflowing, pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. Jesus knew that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life, the life that is truly life. And so he approached Jerusalem. He he knew what was coming. He was was prepared for it, and yet he knew what awaited him there. And yet he told the disciples, these two that went ahead of him, "Just, just go get a donkey. Now, isn't that kind of a weird thing? I mean, it's why would the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords arrive in what's referred to as the triumphal entry? on a donkey, not even a horse or a stallion, but a a donkey, and not even a full-grown donkey. This was a little fuel-efficient Prius donkey. (laughs) Look at what the book of Matthew says, verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The Old Testament, about 520 years before he actually rode that little donkey into Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah prophesied, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, telling the nation of Israel that. It's king, the Messiah, the promised one, would ride in on the foal, on the colt of a donkey. That's a staggering, staggering prophecy. I mean, I want you to think about how specific that is. 500 years before Jesus walked on the earth as a human being like you and me, 500 years, the prophet said he will ride into Jerusalem. He will announce The deliverance of his people on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. I just want to help you to understand that because I think it's important for those of us who are Christians. I think it's really helpful if you're not yet a Christian, if you're kicking the tires and kind of thinking about it, to understand that Jesus, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies 300, tell your neighbor like you mean it, 300's a lot. (laughs) Thank you for imitating me, I appreciate that. Can Can I just tell you the mathematical odds of one person, the mathematical odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies, just eight, we're not even close to 300, eight prophecies. The mathematical odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies are one, in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th, there's 17 zeros there, just trust me, you can't read it from where you are, I counted them. One in 10 to the I don't even know what number that is. A squabillion? I don't know. The mathematical odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies. 48. One in 10 prophecies to the 157th power, 10 to the 157th power. That is a staggering number. The mathematical eyes of one person fulfilling all 300 prophecies, I can't even. You can't compute that kind of a number, and yet Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. This one about the donkey, that's just one. That's just one. But I think what Jesus was doing there on Palm Sunday is so significant because not only — he wasn't just making his way to the cross. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was actually showing us the way of the cross, he, he was modeling for us the way of the cross. He told his followers in his earthly ministry, He said, Take up your cross and follow me. And on this triumphal entry, on, on the, the back of a borrowed donkey, Jesus is showing us the way of the cross. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Number one, it's humility. It's humility. Just, just humble yourself. Turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face and an encouraging thought in your heart, tell your neighbor, humble yourself. Now, if you're married to the person you just said that to, I hope you're especially smiling. <laughs> humble yourself. Just, just humble yourself. I have a theory that humility is the greatest obstacle to faith in the world. It's just a theory, but, but let, me, let me tell you why. I've talked to so many people over the years who, who refuse to, to believe in Jesus. They, they won't do it, and, and, and the reasons are, are myriad. There, there are a plethora of reasons why people don't believe in Jesus. And I feel like I've heard a lot of them, maybe not all of them, but I've heard a lot of them People will say, well, you know, I believe in science, and, and I think that, that evolution is real, and how you can believe that, that God or whatever created the earth in six literal days, how, that's just, just crazy talk to me. And I, and I understand, that's, that's a valid discussion that we can have. But I think that whether you're a strict evolutionist or a strict creationist, both views demand Humility. If you're a strict evolutionist, let's just own the fact you don't know everything. You, you, don't, you don't know everything. There are some, some gaps in the geological. There are some, some gaps in, in the evolutionary record. I'm not saying that things haven't changed over time. Look, look at humanity. Just in the last hundred years, people have gotten taller. I'm six foot one. 110 years ago, I would have been five foot eight. That, that's, that's kind of the average height of men. 110, I mean, I'd have still been quick as a cat, but I'd have been shorter. <laughs> so, so things do change over time. But even if you're a strict evolutionist, surely you are not so incredibly arrogant as to say, I understand it all. You, you don't. Uh, lovingly, you don't. You understand a lot of it, but but science is always making new discoveries. Remember, it wasn't that long ago in our evolutionary development that the brightest minds on the planet thought the planet was flat as a pizza. Like if you sailed too far, you'd sail over the edge. I wonder, what are the things that we believe as just sacrosanct that are immutable laws that, that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, people will go, can you believe those people in 2019? <laughs> they were so backwards. That's you and me. <laughs> so if we rely on science alone, okay, but just admit that that too requires some humility. If you're a strict creationist, and when you say, when you see in Genesis that the Lord created the earth in six days, You look at that word and you say that's 24-hour days. Man, you want to talk about humility. That you just go, God did everything in six days? Yay, God. I don't I don't understand that. That's that. But wherever you land, you have to humble yourself. Jesus is the Son of the living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who can save humanity from ourselves and our sin. And he rides in on a borrowed donkey. The way of the cross requires humility. The second thing that Jesus shows us in the way of the cross is that The way of the cross demands obedience, that our our humility should give birth to obedience, that that whatever God says, we will do. Just just do the next right thing. I I love it when people want to discuss the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is. Well, you know a lot of the will of God. He's given us the Bible. God will never, ever, ever call you, lead you, impress upon your heart to do something contrary to Scripture. I I love that. You know, it it just doesn't operate. He's too consistent. He's too constant. And, And he's given us Scriptural guardrails and boundaries within which to live and do and speak, and act, and love, and forgive that, that lead to the life that is truly life. But if I step outside of those guardrails, if I step out from underneath the authoritative covering of God's Word, then I'm, I'm out of luck. I'm, I'm going to miss what God has for me. The way of the cross requires obedience. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he knows that he is fulfilling not just his mission, not just his calling, but he is fulfilling, he is executing the will of his Father. He knows he is doing his Father's will. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed that he was so He was so overwhelmed with what awaited him on the cross and the isolation and the separation from God the Father that would be caused by his taking on our sin on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus prayed, and while he was praying, he literally sweat drips and drops of blood. You, you want to talk about stress. Jesus knows that. He, he knows what that's about. But in that moment, he asked God if there's any way around or besides the cross, let's, let's go that direction. But, everybody say but. 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 Not my will, but thy will be done. You see, the, the humility that led him to ride in on a donkey gave birth to the obedience that allowed him to fulfill his Father's will. But, but there's something else that I think is equally important. It, it's not just humility. It's not just obedience. But there was this incredible demonstration of trust. As Jesus continued to show us the way to the cross, he, he showed that he trusted his Father. He, he trusted that though the cross would be horrific, that though the, the cross would be literally excruciating, that's where the word excruciating comes from, excruci, it's where we get crucifixion, it's that, the cross. He knew that, but he trusted, he trusted that the authority and the power that God had given him over everything extended to the grave, and that he would defeat death and subdue sin in and through his resurrection. And make no mistake about it, folks, he rose from the dead. Physically, he got up out of the ground. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a spiritual allegory. It's a fact. The tomb is empty. And he trusted that in his resurrection was the hope of humanity. Humanity. For all who would follow him, that they would cling, that 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 resurrection would be the basis of our belief, it would be the reason for our rejoicing, that in his resurrection we might find life. And he trusted, he trusted that God would do that. I, I think that's probably what's at the heart of real obedience, is just trusting God. Trusting that what he says biblically is right. Trusting that what he says biblically is for our good and his glory. And Jesus knew that as he approached Jerusalem, as he made his way to the cross but also showed us the way of the cross, he knew, he knew that in and through his death and his resurrection there was life, the life that is truly life. It's interesting. Matthew includes one more little fact here. So interesting. In Matthew chapter 21, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. While others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Palm Sunday. They shouted Hosannas. Hosanna was a Hebrew word, uh, a Hebrew word that was reserved for praise and worship because of God's deliverance. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, Israel had used this word to, to worship God because they had experienced his deliverance, his, his liberation from their enemies, from their own sin. And now as Jesus approaches Jerusalem to be the fulfillment of that deliverance and that liberation, they shout Hosanna. Hosanna. They, they put palm leaves down on the, on the road and their cloaks on the road and they're shouting praises and worshiping. But Jesus knew. <laughs> he, he knew that, that almost all of the ones who were shouting Hosanna, five days later, they would be shouting crucify him, crucify him. That they would choose to have Jesus executed on that Roman cross, rather than a convicted killer named Barabbas. And yet, he still approaches Jerusalem. He still approaches the city of peace. There's one more thing I want to just show you real quick. Matthew 21, verse 10. And 11, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The whole city was stirred. When Jesus enters your life, he will stir the status quo. He, he ain't going to leave it the same. He will stir the status quo, not only in your life, but in every life around you. It, in, in the lives of those people that God has supernaturally and sovereignly and strategically placed in your orbit of influence. He will stir things up in the most beautiful way. I, I, I think about like these, these Easter cards they're, they're, you know, they're, they're business cards. But who do you know who doesn't yet know how beautifully Jesus stirs things up? Who do you know who doesn't yet know the way of the cross? Man, just, I just want to encourage you. I want to pastorally challenge you. Stir some stuff up. Stir, stir some things up. Be, be normal about it. Don't be a weird Christian. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. But just, just stir some things up. Hey, I would love for you, I don't know what you're doing, but Easter Sunday, come to my church. And the beautiful thing about you, the family that is Lake Hills Church, you show up. You show up when it matters most. As a family, those of us who are Lake Hills Church, we celebrate Easter on Friday or Saturday. And and then we we serve on Sunday. Because Sunday is when so many guests will jam the parking lot, fill these seats, because you've invited them, because you've stirred something up. And so those who are Lake Hills Church, we, we celebrate on Friday and Saturday. And then we serve and we welcome our guests on Sunday. It's so funny. I, I, every single year, I'm shaking hands at the door and somebody, a longtime member of the church, will be there right there at that meet of the service, that second service on Sunday morning where everybody goes to church. Like, I'm so sorry we're here. We had to come. My aunt from out of town was coming. We had to come to this service. Listen, don't apologize. It's okay. Well, If you know Jesus, you're still going to heaven. But I, I would just encourage you, come on Friday or Saturday. Like, and then other people are like, I don't, don't want to see the pastor. He asked us to come on Friday. It's all right. And, and don't do that. I'm so sorry. No, you're not sorry. If you were sorry, you would have come on Friday or Saturday. But just, <laughs> just don't apologize. It's okay. It's okay. But man, Stir something up. Stir up the status quo in your own life. I wonder, on this Palm Sunday, that this is what this is what God kind of is working on me in in this message. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he knew he would die, in order for us to live, and so. What's the stuff in my life that has to die in order to live the life I was created for, in order to live the life I'm called to in Christ? And so I just want to ask you, what is it that needs to die? Is there a a habit? Is there a a tendency? Maybe maybe there's a friendship that's, that's not helping you Live the life that is truly life. Always be kind, but sometimes sometimes some of those things have to die in order for us to live the life we're created to live. And if you're here this morning and, and you walked in the door and you're maybe not a Christ follower, you haven't chosen the way of the cross. You haven't chosen to trust Jesus more than you trust yourself. As a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do it right now, just just right now. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to come to church for eight months in a row. You just have to tell God that you trust Him more than you trust yourself. You just have to choose humility, obedience, and trust. That's that's the way of the cross, and that's what Jesus shows us. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment, and in this moment, if you want to follow Christ, then I invite you to pray this prayer silently right where you're sitting, just from your heart to God's heart, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, and so I confess my sin, all of it, and I claim your forgiveness, all of it. And Lord, I will trust you more than myself. I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment because this is sacred ground right now. The Bible says if one person steps over that line of faith, all of heaven celebrates. So that's a big deal. And as a church, we want to help with what comes next. So... If that was your prayer today and you chose to follow Christ, then I want to invite you to do two things as a part of the family of faith. Number one, if you would just right now begin, take out your program that you got when you came in, open it up, and begin filling out the Connect card there. Just just fill it out, your name, contact information. and at the appropriate place just to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And then once you complete that card here in the next, you know, few seconds, just tear it off at the perforation there along the fold. And when we release in just a couple of minutes, I want to ask you, hand that card to one of our ushers, to one of our hosts, so that we can help, so that we can come alongside at whatever pace works for you. And then the second thing I want to ask you to do is if you would, as our heads are bowed for just a brief moment more, if you would just raise your hand, just raise your hand high over your head as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment you just made, a statement in your life, a statement in the life of this church, because for us, There is nothing more important than this moment in your life and and others like it. And so we celebrate and we honor that with heaven. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.